Hello and welcome to this bonus edition of the Pure Football Podcast, the podcast that brings you the stories, tactics, stats and rumours about football in Scotland and beyond, by fans and for fans. And as I mentioned, this is a bonus episode and I'm really lucky to have been joined by a very special guest, uh, Ram Sunivas from Market Insights. Ram, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Good to be on here. Big fan of the podcast, so nice to be on it. <laughs> Thank you, mate. Thank you. So um, just to, you know, get into this episode. It's going to be all about uh, player recruitment, data analysis. So just to get us started, Ram, you know, straight into it, just give us a bit into who you are and what it is that you do. Right. So we started Market Insights in July after, I mean, yeah, just after we started working with Swansea City, who were our first clients. And what we do basically is we're recruitment, recruitment consultants we help club identify players that they want to sign based on their requirements. So we provide bespoke tools and services. And it's not just analysis, but scouting services as well. So you have you have the whole nine yards. Okay, so it's like a, basically doing all the sort of uh, off-the-field work that probably goes a little bit unnoticed at times, but is sort, uh, certainly growing just now um, in modern football. So uh, there's just a... A few questions, I guess, that um, to get us started. Um, yep. So, for you personally, how do you feel that scouting a player has changed in the in the last sort of few years from your traditional, you know, um, scout who would go to games across the country to now where you have uh, a lot more uh, data available to you know access the, the finer details of a player's performance? How do you feel that's changed? I think it's changed a lot of things. Um, before going into the actual scouting bit, it's just it's just kind of changed the paradigms of a few things themselves because I find that football has stopped being a very self-contained thing in, in the whole scouting department because it's probably no, no longer a place where people within the game are the only ones that remain within the game going from one place to another. I mean, that's basically how people like myself and um, my colleagues uh, had the opportunity to to co-fund Market Insights and work for a club like Swansea. Because that's, the fact that there is data available publicly to a mm-hmm. decent level with services like Wisecout and, and Instat, um, that means that these things are a lot more open to interpretation. And with the advent and you know boom of social media a lot more opinions are getting out there people are monitoring these platforms so it's just the first point that i just want to touch touch on was people at clubs or whether it be agents or anyone else anyone in football they are maybe slowly but surely becoming more receptive to the opinions of outsiders as you will Mm -hmm. so that was i mean yeah that's just a broader point but then as far as scouting itself goes, well, the fact that we have data helps us to tell a story, doesn't it? So yeah. if, 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 if you go to watch a player and you catch him, you happen to catch him on an off day, but then what the data, the data does is it says to you that you probably, I mean, you've definitely caught him on an off day because he does these things really well and he or he's done it across a decent sample size. So you, you should probably not write him off after you've watched, after you've watched someone, maybe a couple of bad games. Mm-hmm. So, what what we do is 
we we try to watch clips of certain key actions first. I feel that that um, again, when you come back to platforms like Y Scout and Instat that make video scouting a lot easier. So they help you to look at just certain actions that you want to zero in on. You want to look at how a player does a certain thing. You can watch like 15, 20 minutes of him doing that straight and mm -hmm. you can make an assessment. So it just doesn't have to hinge on one game or two games or I mean, whatever your minimum threshold is before writing a, writing a player off. There's a lot more you can do in terms of narrowing down on a specific skill that you're looking for in the player. And then perhaps after that, going on to watch X number of full games to see how well he might be as, I mean, as a tactical fit for your side. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. so I, I just feel as if the, the presence of data and video scouting platforms has enabled it to become a much more simpler process, easier on the logistics and a lot more intelligent, I'd like to think. Yeah, I would certainly agree with that. It's also, you know, uh, probably more cost effective rather than having a huge scouting department uh, as Definitely. well. If you can use, you know, uh, analytics to to support your decision making. Um, so yeah, yeah I guess I, I guess the, the the sort of natural um, progression then would be. So can you talk talk us through how um, what the processes look like when you're analysing a player? From how do you identify them up until the very very sort of last stage where it comes to recommendation? Uh, yeah, for sure. So how how we like to work with clients is obviously we, we need there to exist a very open dialogue about what sort of players are required. And obviously we will have a good tactical understanding of the squad and the current options available. But then once requirements are communicated in the most clear way possible from, from the club and those working within the club, that's when we move to move to the stage where we identify what sort of metrics we're looking for. So depending on the tactical role that they want player in each position or each role in the system to carry out, those are the type of metrics we narrow down on. And then we perform our data searches. If we need to do a similarity search, then we do that. But mm -hmm. I believe that data is obviously not the be all end all. It's most effectively used as a filter, something to narrow down on a bunch of names from what is obviously a very expansive database of, I mean, even if you're looking at players across five or six leagues in Europe. Mm -hmm. So that's what data does really well. It helps you narrow down on players. And then after that is when we move to the video scouting. Mm -hmm. And we, we like, I mean, the way we work when we're also asked a video scout is. We like to go through an initial screening of some clips, as I mentioned before, some mm -hmm. specific actions that you would definitely want your player to do well. And view those in the context of video, pass an initial screening phase that have been, well, approved by X number of us mm -hmm. within, within Market Insights. And then we move on to a stage where we analyze them more closely within the context of a full match. And that, that, that kind of depends on the way you want to log it. Some, some teams may choose to use the various platforms for logging reports, mm -hmm. such as uh, Scout7, if you've heard of it. Mm -hmm. they, have, they have a platform where you log reports on every player and things like that. So yeah, that's, that is probably the penultimate stage of watching a player within the context of 
a number of full games to see if he's going to be a good tactical fit because you've established two parts of your story you've seen that he has a good data profile over a decent sample size you've seen that this matches up with the eye in terms of key actions that you want your player to carry out and mm-hmm. then you've also identified whether or not the player would be a good tactical fit based on based on the context of a whole match i mean several times over to ascertain whether he would be a good fit for your team or the way i mean the way his team is playing um additionally there's another phase that we like to carry out before maybe just filtering based on player it's obviously preferable if i am looking for players for swansea city so i'm probably going to look for teams that play like swansea city and then mm-hmm. look at players within those teams and then try to evaluate those options first instead of instead of trying to assess players who might be a fit but playing in teams that are coming from radically different okay. styles so that's that's the scouting process in a nutshell i mean you, you know semi ajay of rotherham yep who moved to west prom he uh-huh. he was playing in a vastly different a vastly different team rotherham were a quite quite direct team and they were um a team of not the highest quality in the championship but then they picked up someone like sami ajay whose data had to be viewed in context of his team yeah and that's also very important because someone who has seemingly average numbers but in a pretty poor team might go on to have good numbers in a team that maybe sees more of the ball so that's also another aspect that we like to cover okay. so there are a bunch of things you need to take into context and that's in a nutshell that's how we do okay yeah so i guess from you know talking us through that sort of process can you give me an example or any examples that you know of that has uncovered uh, a player um to a high standard or a, a successful deal um yeah sure i mean <laughs> if you like um i could say borna barisic is a decent example okay because his data i mean he he's popped up in data searches i've done in the past and then I don't know how he was identified for Rangers but then I'd like to think that if they were using data then Barisic is exactly the type of player who would pop under I mean he would pop into your radar because of the numbers he was putting up in the Croatian first division he was uh, really good in terms of expected assists um getting balls into the penalty area crossing dribbling forward passing he, I mean he put up a really good profile in the Croatian league so he's I mean he'd probably be one of the more obvious candidates if you were doing mm-hmm. uh, a generic data search but that probably serves as a good example and then if you want to look at Celtic as well then um Bolingoli also has a good data profile from his time in Austria where he's basically putting up pretty similar numbers to Borna Barisic where Barisic is slightly better defensively according to the numbers but then attacking wise and passing wise they're both they've both been quite good and they would definitely have popped up on searches if if data was used at all so i mean it, it may on the face of it it may seem as if they came from lesser known leagues but then if you have a data set then they immediately become standouts if you know how to look at the data set okay yeah that, that makes sense um so i guess you know we've heard a lot about the positives of um why you know data is important and how analysis works but what could be a risk of using data versus traditional scouting if there are any uh no that there definitely are certain things that you need to caveat for example if you're looking at so 
strength of league is probably one thing. So, for example, if you're looking at a league where one or two teams are really dominant, and well, sounds like Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you might look at a player whose numbers are heavily inflated because he just sees a lot of the ball and he gets a lot of time on the ball to perform certain actions. So things like that need to be put into context and you really need to dig deep into video or, I mean, at least go through a rigorous screening phase to identify whether these players are really good for your system. For example, if, you, if you're looking for someone in, I don't know, maybe Bosnia where there are a couple of really dominant teams and players on those teams are always going to have really good numbers and those need to be viewed in context. And as I, as I told you before, players in poor teams like, like Rajai, that was a, that was a pretty good example. Their, their data is not going to look good at all, but then there are ways of automatically putting those into context with their team. If, if someone is putting up like, you know, above average league standard metrics, but then his team is like really bad, bottom three type bad. That is probably a good sign. That's probably a sign that he might be a decent pickup for someone further up the table in the league. Mm -hmm. So yeah, video always needs to be, I mean, video and data must go hand in hand. Traditional scouting and data scouting must go hand in hand. I believe that that's the only way it works. It has to be a marriage between those two. No one way is the absolute truth. Okay, that's you know I think that's a, a pretty fair point, and it's it's hard to to argue you know for or against that point. Um, but yeah, so I guess with the all the resource that's available now, um, we already see so many of the elite clubs you know picking up and hoovering the you know the the best young talent. Do you think that data maybe will um, accelerate that uh, sort of process of elite clubs finding uh, you know younger talents quicker? It absolutely will. I think. I think it already is. To be honest, okay. um, I mean, this uh, this has happened to a lot of people who I mean who do their data scouting, and I know this just because I've seen so many frustrated tweets about it. Is is the <laughs> fact that if you find a really promising player playing in maybe the second division of France or Belgium or something like that, um, <laughs> the, the odds are he's probably going to be owned by Watford. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, okay. so they, they are probably, I mean, I'd like to think they're an example of a club with a really sound scouting network and they probably use data as well because they're already hoovering up a lot of players who are putting up good numbers in fairly undervalued leagues and then they're probably going to just keep them in their loan circuit and try to sell them on for further value or just integrate them into the team if they can. So they're one example. I'd like to think Brighton is another example. Mm-hmm. Brighton have been used, have been known to use data in the past. Uh, a lot of their current first team signings all do really well on data, and mm-hmm. I think I think Tony Bloom has uh, a betting background as well, which also involves a lot of use of data analytics. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and Brighton Brighton also have uh, a lot of good players out on loan. They've they just they've just bought a striker from Maribor, I think, mm-hmm. named Jan Lakar. He had really good numbers last season, and they've sent him out on loan to QPR. He he isn't playing much over there, but you know that's that's in archetype of the example that you were talking about. Picking up someone like Jan Mulkar after he's put up really good numbers in in a league that is fairly undervalued. That's really easy for a Premier League club to do because he's probably not going to cost much, right? So 
they can just afford to do that. And yeah, data is probably just going to accelerate that process for clubs who are going to be smart enough to use it. Yeah, I guess you, you sort of just alluded on to the next sort of question there that I have for you is what sort of markets do you think are undervalued, if any, if you can go into specifics? Um, yeah, well, I mean, I think there are a few obvious candidates that, I mean, I probably shouldn't go too much into okay. detail into, but I'd like to think Scotland is a fairly undervalued market. Okay. And I'm just... I'm just viewing this in the broader context of, I'm not, I'm not saying that it might be rife with players who are going to go to top five European leagues, but then if I am a Premier League club and I'm looking for a ball playing centre-back, I'm probably looking at someone like Christopher Iyer. Yeah, yeah, um, makes sense. You have Andy Robertson, you have Alfredo Morales, who, I mean, he came from Finland, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. And the, the the good thing about Scotland is that you have um, more relaxed work permit rules. It just mm-hmm. generally increases the catchment area by a large amount compared to, say, England. So yep. that I mean that makes it a lot easier for Premier League clubs to just pick someone up from Scotland if they're doing really well. As, as I mean, Arsenal got Tierney. Obviously, that's not um, yeah. anything to do with work permits. But uh, if if you want to go further down the league. Um, Players like Liam Lindsay, yeah. uh, Mike, Michael Rose. Michael yeah. Rose is a pretty good example, I guess. Yeah, he's one of my favorites. Yeah, so I think there definitely is. I mean, did I mention Robertson? Probably don't need to mention Robertson. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I feel that there is a lot of value to be found in Scotland. I mean, I probably wouldn't be surprised to see someone like Ryan Christie moving eventually. Yeah. Um, Stuart Armstrong completed door Chelsea a new one the other day. So, <laughs> yeah, there is safe to say Scotland is a good example of an undervalued yeah. league. Yeah, I guess you know there's probably going to be talent all over uh, Europe. It just depends on what you're looking at and what you're looking for. So, I exactly. guess exactly. I mean, for example, if uh, these these players that just came from Scottish Premiership to Premier League clubs probably weren't going to be very expensive, but then. It represents good value for a really high-caliber league, even if the sums of money involved are relatively kind of high. So, I mean, you're, you're talking like 15 to 25 to 30 million, but that's still like a pittance for a Premier League club. Yeah, so, exactly. in the context, that's probably still undervalued. So, Yeah, yeah. no, that, that makes total sense. Um, so, I guess we're going to move into some of the specifics, I guess, in terms of what you would maybe look at. But can you give me an example of what are the sort of measures or attributes that you really look out for when you're looking at a, a player's role or position within a team? Or would this need to be something that was set to you by a client? Yeah, that's something that we would always want our clients to give us. I mean, at the very least, in terms of, in functional terms, to clearly describe what's what's required of a player in, in terms of tactical role. For example, you might place a very heavy focus on your strikers running in behind defense and getting lots of touches in the box, or you might want a striker that comes pretty deep like Ollie McBurney used to for Swansea last season. He, I mean, he basically started playing as a number 10, didn't he? Mm-hmm. So at that point, you'd probably be looking at their passing metrics, how long they're making each pass, are they playing more of a hold-up role? If their passing length is quite short, they're probably playing more like a target man, less of a deep-lying, creative, forward type of player. So 
based based on the type of role which always has to be specified by our clients i mean in order to just ensure the best synergy between best working synergy between us mm-hmm. um that would then go on to define what sort of metrics you're looking for ideally well this is in this is yeah this is actually maybe an understated aspect of working with a football club but then i feel as if translating the utility of metrics into the tactical into the tactical role itself is a very important dialogue to be had mm-hmm. you need to you need to be able to map a certain role in a tactical system to a number of metrics so a clear understanding of the metrics themselves should be established for ex- even if it's something like a progressive pass or a progressive run mm-hmm. the um the club needs to know um i mean we basically we need to be on the same page with respect to what yeah. the metrics are and then we need to map the roles to the metrics so if i mean if if you want uh matt someone who works with me at market insights we we once wrote an article on fullbacks earlier in 2019 where we basically identified four different styles of fullbacks based mm-hmm. on clustering so one of them was like a very build up oriented fullback where we looked at their passing styles because a build up oriented fullback is probably going to keep he's probably going to see a lot of the ball and progress up the pitch with the ball but then someone who i mean a really attacking fullback some fullbacks are expected to just either really push on with the ball or receive them in the final third so they might not have that many passes overall but then they might have a lot of high value attacking actions such as through balls uh passes into the penalty area lots of lots of crosses so yeah there are there are a lot of different player styles to be established and that in tandem with the tactical roles given to us by the club will eventually determine what kind of metrics you're looking for whether you place emphasis on a player that wants to dribble or you place emphasis on a winger that must get into goal scoring positions that's where expected goals comes into handy a winger who really has to press that's where defensive volume actions come into handy i mean come in handy so mm-hmm. yeah that it's just it really depends on what the club communicates to us but we do ensure that there is a very flexible open dialogue with respect to what the metrics are and what the roles are yeah i guess that that makes complete sense and i guess i'm i'm going to try and put you on the spot a little bit here now with um so notoriously it's pretty hard to evaluate uh center backs or defenders yeah, yeah. um so how would you try and if you were asked to identify a, a center back what sort of things would you look at what measures would you try and filter out to to understand what was you know the a, a good performing center back uh yeah well a center back is probably uh, the toughest position because i mean look at it this way if you can evaluate the center back's passing based on basic passing metrics if you're using a platform like wisecout you can look at progressive passes but then you may have a center back who's playing in a team with a lot of possession right mm-hmm. so i mean i usually use a simple method of just finding how many progressive passes come as a percentage of total passes just to see how often the defender looks for that line breaking pass so there are a number of ways in which you can you can evaluate a defender's passing performance you might want a defender to play very simple forward passes that can be done if you just look at his ratio of forward passes forward passing accuracy or you may want a defender to play like i don't know like charlie malgrudas 
mm-hmm. for for Blackburn Rovers. You know, just absolutely ping it. Um, then you might want to look at their forward passing accuracy. You might want to take into context how long their passes are and measure this with accuracy because, I mean, usually, intuitively, if you're playing longer passes, then your accuracy is going to go down. But that's that's when you have to contextualize. So, that I mean, that's, that's as far as passing goes. But then you might also want your centre-back to step out with the ball. You might want to look at how many passes... Well, okay, I'll come to that. You might want to look at... Basically, you might want to look at how many dribbles he's making how many maybe deep completions, maybe progressive runs. But then I feel that these metrics that you have on platforms like Instat and Scout, these boxed metrics, kind of work as well as they can only for evaluating a defender's ball-playing ability. When in terms of defensive metrics, I feel as if you kind of need advanced data for that, the type that modern Fitbar have from Art mm-hmm. Exports, isn't yep. it? Yep. Um, exactly the kind of things that they've been doing, like short suppression. I, I, I really like that kind of approach. That helps you to identify, I mean, how well a defender is shutting down his zone, so to speak. I mean, I'm sure you know all about it. Yep, yep. Things like that, things like where he's making most of his defensive actions. Is he just playing in a really low block, like maybe James Tarkovsky might do and blocking a lot of shots, sitting, I mean, sitting deep and that that might be more comfortable for a team playing in a low block or is he playing in a really high line? That helps you identify more about the defensive style of the player because in on Scout you have defensive duels, you have aerial duels, you have their win percentages and like uh, you mu- I mean you mustn't get too caught up on those sort of things because they can vary and they don't differentiate between offensive aerial duels and defensive aerial duels. So I- ideally if you have detailed data, you would like to do things like that. You would like to look at how a defender defends his box. Is he making a lot of defensive actions in his box? Is he I mean in terms of aerial duels, is he winning headers in his box? Is he winning headers in you know that the that middle region between the defensive third and the middle third where defenders sometimes step out to receive balls that comes from that come from goal kicks or long punts from the opposition defense. So those are the type of things that we would ideally look at when it comes to defenders. Um, you would definitely want to go past just defensive dual metrics, aerial dual metrics, because you might want to put like a basic filter on those things, but then they really have to be taken into context because they're ultimately boxed metrics and Beyond basic competency, they don't tell you that much. So I'd say that discovering defenders involves a lot of video work, but then when you're looking at data, you've probably got to be smart and probably get a little innovative and look at models like short suppression and develop similar models that go more into location rather than just aggregated metrics. So, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of modern Fitbar. Uh, they're doing some really cool stuff. So, yeah, that's that's definitely the way that defenders should be evaluated. I mean, defensive metrics are like a puzzle that are, I mean, that maybe seems to be getting closer to completion every day, but like it's it's really slow because mm-hmm. mainstream defensive metrics are not very great. So, yeah, that's, yeah, that's I mean, that's as much light as I can shed on yeah. evaluating centre-backs without going into absolutely nerd level of detail. Yeah, I guess there's there's things, you know, like the defender who 
maybe has a high completion rate in a certain metric versus the defender that doesn't, but maybe the defender that doesn't have the high completion rate and whatever metric it may be from a defensive standpoint might be because they have better positioning, so they don't exactly. have Exactly. He might so, not need to make those kind of metrics. I mean, so, make those kind of challenges. So, yeah. So, you know, and that's obviously where it becomes very difficult to, you know, uh, analyse these sort of things. So um, I guess this yeah. goes back to the point of where you need to have the the sort of marriage between the raw numbers and the, the sort of eye test, uh, if you yeah, will. And position and locational data really helps. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so I guess we spoke about quite a lot of things already. It's um, one of the things that I, I wanted to, to find out about. So um, clubs that maybe don't have the infrastructure to support data capture or um, to analyse data, what would be your sort of recommendations to these clubs to actually take the step into um, these sort of markets? All right. Well, what sort of level are you talking about? So let's keep it, let's just say, for example, in the lower leagues of Scotland. So it doesn't have to be the bottom end, but say it's the Scottish Championship or, or Scottish League ones, or that sort of area. Maybe that doesn't have a... In fact, even the Scottish Premiership, where some teams don't even have analytics uh, or analytic departments. So what would be the... How would you try and sell that to those clubs? Right. Well, the use of Scout comes quite handy. I mean, things like Scout and Instad that probably don't cost so much for regular subscription. Mm-hmm. They, they, they give you a lot of statistics for not a lot of money. Video, video analysis is kind of a different picture altogether. But if you're just looking at data, as I said, data helps you filter players out of a long list, doesn't it? So if you have access to something like Scout, then we can make the best use out of something like that because we have our systems in place ready to go to filter out players based on your requirements. Even if it's, um, you don't need heavy infrastructure to operate something like Scout. That, that's, I mean, all the tools are things that we provide based on, based on the requirements of whoever's asking for them. That, 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 that works as far as the Scottish uh, premiership and even even the championship goes because they have coverage on platforms like these. But maybe if you go down a little lower, the I mean I've seen an interesting, I've seen some interesting things being done. So I know of a national league South club in mm-hmm. England that see all it takes is to have a little start. So. If you, if you just have your own short locations, that's all it takes to make, I mean, a very basic expected goals model. That can be used for analysis to some extent, and that doesn't require heavy data coding. Apart from that, if you have even something like a commentary feed mm-hmm. that tells you where a shout was taken from, Basic models have been built on the basis of things like that as well. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of Experimental 361 on Twitter, Ben Mayhew. His, his all, all his projections and expected goals models are based on BBC feeds, if I'm not wrong. And I'm pretty sure okay. that uh, someone from Modern Fitbird did something yeah, like that as that. well. Yeah. yeah. That was for Scottish League One and Two, wasn't it? So yeah, that's right. Yep. Things like expected goals, I feel as if you don't need that much level of detail for some basic analysis. But as long as you have even basic statistics like 
goals, assists, even even pass completion. That always helps you filter better than better than if you don't have anything at all. So you got to start somewhere, and just like that uh, National League South club that I was talking about, mm-hmm. it, it just takes someone to think progressively within the club and try to look at things a little differently. And even if it just starts from coding your own shot locations, that could extend to, who knows, coding your opponent's shot locations and then looking at their expected goals. So you know, if you're in Scottish League 1 or 2, you're obviously not going to have access to stats of every player. But then it's, it's always, I mean, my, my point is that you're always going to be better off having some stats, even if they're basic. Than, than without. So that's that should always be your starting point, in my opinion, even if it's something like a very basic expected goals model or, or basic goals plus assists. Yeah, again, that makes total sense. And it's something that, you know, both uh, Ona and I um, really want the clubs in Scotland to embrace. It feels like there's there's an advantage to be had out there that's maybe not being utilised right now by a lot of clubs in Scotland. And as I mentioned, some uh, some teams in, in the Scottish Premiership don't have analytics. So, yep. you know, um, it feels like something that should absolutely be ventured in. Uh, that's that's that, that's kind of that's kind of the service that we pitch when we. I mean, if we were if we were to go and pitch to someone in the Scottish Championship or Premiership or something like that, then if they didn't have all these systems in place, then we would basically be, te- be telling them that it's not that difficult to get, a f- I mean, a system in place which is of good quality because we have all the tools, we have access to a good level of data. It's just, it's then, it's just about looking into the data. It's, it, you don't need to have systems as sophisticated as Premier League clubs or PSG or Barcelona, right? Yeah. It, data can be used simplistically. It, I mean, if it's used in the right way, then that's always going to give you a head start. So there's there's never going to be a disadvantage of having even a basic system in place. Yeah, and again, I, I completely you know, echo that, and it's something that we want to see more of. Um, so just before we wrap up, there are some listener questions um, that I want to fire across to you. So the first one came in from Chris Sampson, who's actually the, the host of the Pure Championship podcast. But uh, he asked, what needs to happen before a level of analysis... Um, ahead of recruiting a player before becomes more commonplace in the lower leagues? Well, um, I think that it needs to show good results. It, it ta- I mean, as I said before, it just takes, it takes for maybe one club to do things differently and then others will follow the suit. I think that's happening already, to be honest. Mm-hmm. If, if, you, if you look in the English Championship, I mean, the obvious example is Brentford, isn't it? Yep. Where they've identified a bunch of really good players using analytics. They've gone on to sell them for really good money. And now they're looking as if they might just do it this season because they've, I mean, they've accumulated a decent amount of transfer funds over the years by kind of gaming the system with the use of analytics. They've assembled a really good, really, really good championship squad this season and Ultimately, if that's gonna if that's gonna reap rewards and that's gonna take a club like Brentford from the champion, I mean from from League One even to the Premier League, then other clubs are gonna look at that and they're gonna think, okay, this is probably a much more financially sustainable, easier option, even if it's slightly more long term. And I think that clubs are moving towards 
I mean, similarly, analytic, analytical driven models. Swansea is probably an example of that. That's why they've that's why they've hired us. And maybe even if you look down into League One, you can say that a team like Coventry has probably been using data in their recruitment. The way I mean, it, you all you need to do is have a look at Michael Rose's data profiles from the seasons before that they before they signed him, and even someone like Kyle McFadzine, who they signed on a free from Burton Albion, Wesley yep. Jobello, um, Jervain Castanier picked up from France and Netherlands. I think they had clear things in their data that the club is probably looking for and that's that's paying off for them and i mean it may not happen very quickly because i feel that there is a certain reluctance and a lack of maybe understanding yeah maybe 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 i mean i think saying understanding is putting it a little crudely which is why i was hesitating oh, okay. to okay. say to say the exact word <laughs> but maybe maybe acceptance of okay. the kind of story that data tells you there might be a little reluctance to accept the power of what data can show you and i think that slowly but surely as you're seeing examples of success like brentford and hopefully coventry because they're doing well clubs are going to move toward that sort of model and if i mean if if a club is maybe for example in sunderland situation where they're not doing too well financially and their transfer business has not been very good in recent times wh- what are they going to do when they're where when they're in a position where they're a league one club and they have to lift themselves out, out of there they they probably want to turn towards analytics so because i mean the other approaches obviously aren't working so it it takes it takes one to ultimately move the crowd is my opinion that's yeah. but i mean hopefully we might see that in scotland as well but i think it's happening in england yeah no i i, I totally agree with that and um I, I do think that it's something that that needs to change especially up in scotland um okay so next question came from uh Ewan robertson who asked does he feel recruitment specialists analysts should be more culpable for poor signings. They seem to avoid criticism with the manager taking the blame. Paul Heckenbottom spoke about this earlier in the season. <laughs> mm, did he? Christian <laughs> Deutsch was a pretty good signing, by the way. Uh, <laughs> pretty good on the data. Um, yeah, but no. Well, that is a question that goes a little bit more deeper into the kind of relationship that analysts have with the higher ups at the club doesn't it because well uh, i'm thinking of the best way to put this so there needs to be a very transparent understanding between what sort of players are required so if there exists a good level of communication between the analysts and the head of recruitment and the manager ideally a club should never be in a situation where a manager doesn't want a player at all but then the director of football and analysts think that they're a good fit and for whatever reason that doesn't work out i think that everyone needs to be on the same page first and foremost so the question of who is to blame shouldn't arise you you get what i mean because yeah the way things should function is the way i mean the way things should ideally function is that a club knows what it wants to do from from top down so if you even if you don't have a director of football if you have some sort of senior figure who knows 
what kind of i mean the kind of players you want at the club you hire a manager who also fits into that philosophy then everyone ends up being on the same page when you're identifying players at the lowest level and if a player doesn't work out it doesn't necessarily have to be the analyst's fault or it doesn't necessarily have to be the manager's fault so i think that i think the question of should analysts be more culpable probably if if everyone's on the same page then i believe everyone is equally culpable but there are a number of reasons why a signing doesn't work out isn't that so so i mean if 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 paul heckingbottom is saying that then i mean i just i just can't help but feel as if there is some sort of discord between the people who sign sign the players at hibs and well paul heckingbottom yeah 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 um I guess it's a, it's a difficult one because, as you mentioned, it, it sort of leads on to the next sort of uh, listener question. There can be a number of reasons why a signing won't work out. It, it might not just be about, you know, performance. It can be things that are non tangible, like, uh, you know, settling into a new location or, you know, yeah. uh, these sort of things. So, yeah. uh, and that does lead on to the next question, which came from Louis Jones Farrell One, who asked, Does their styles of player recruitment ever look past the numbers, i.e., on the human side? Things like attitude, personality, etc. And if so, do they take it into account, or are the analytics more important? Um, well, uh, actually, if I may just add a note on the previous question, mm-hmm. I I feel as if it's it's kind of well. the whole concept of having a club direction or a template of players that a club wants to sign reduces the probability of a number of signings not working out if you have a plan in place then that's that's essentially setting yourself up for having a greater success rate with your signings sure as is clearly evidenced by the likes of brentford so yeah i mean just just yeah just a short note on that before No no that I answered this yeah um on the intangibles that's that's actually an interesting question obviously these cannot be measured by any sort of numerical quantities but well we we try i mean as far as we're concerned we try and do our due diligence to whatever level we can using the internet obviously we believe that due diligence must be done on a player's character before 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 he signed that's obviously a very important aspect but in 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 terms of i mean if you leave if you leave out having contacts and everything to to go and ask about what a player is like then there are simple things that i mean uh did, did you did you read the article on the athletic that said that manchester united weren't aware that marcos rojo was involved in some yeah, sort of court that. case yeah. before they, before they sign him yeah all, all it takes is to set up something simple like google alerts for a player and yeah maybe yeah the, the, i mean tim someone else in uh, one of the other co-founders of market insights has written an article in the past on his own blog about simple google alert scouting and that that might that might end up telling you some things that well manchester united may not have found out about marcos rojo for example yeah which and is crazy isn't it yeah it's it's just simple things like google alerts and social media that 
can easily be looked at at a very basic level and they should i mean i would encourage things like that obviously you shouldn't make fast judgments into a player's character looking at a social media but it just probably gives you a more holistic background and that that's something that should be encouraged to be done before actually going and picking up someone who knows the player and who can probably give you a good reference so um analytics does does tell you whether a player will perform well on the pitch but it is it is very important to try and gauge what his background is like as a person so i mean we have well i mean obviously can't go into specifics but we have already found good utility into the simple google alerts method when it comes to looking up players because you you might find someone doing really well on the data but then you might not be aware of maybe some some things in this past that might put you off so even even if it's a basic level of due diligence it absolutely must be done and it's it's not it's not heresy to suggest that it could put you off a player even if he has got metrics so i wouldn't say that analytics always takes first precedence yeah I mean, or you know like the divine rights to ascertaining whether a player should be signed or not i guess these things as well like you know someone could have a character issue or uh a potential event that happens to them that might not be repeatable so you know that might you know they might move to a new location and these things could change so yeah for sure it's, so it's you know like you said you've got to make sure you do the right level of do uh, due diligence yep uh, you might want to look at how he's done if he's moved countries earlier in his career or something like that there's there's always things you can look into yeah again totally agree totally agree i guess the so the final question for tonight has came from robert clark who asked has player data become too important do we rely too heavily on numbers these days rather than the naked eye? Whatever happened to the good old scout with a notepad and pen? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to think that at heart, we're all, we're all scouts with notepads and pens because that's what, that's what we do, isn't it? After, after narrowing down players based on data, it's not, it's not as if you're playing... Okay, no, football manager probably isn't a good example because <laughs> attributes, not stats. <laughs> it's it's not as if you're just playing a game where um a player has really good numbers so you're going to go ahead and sign him for your team even if he even if he passes like a number of checks that you made it's as i mentioned before um there absolutely has to be a marriage between traditional methods and data uh, d- data is just a tool it's it's not it's not an absolute it's not a be all and all it's just it's just a means to an end and it's an efficient means to an end and it just helps you make better decisions and no nowhere should it just be used blindly it's i mean we should all also be those people who well take out your notepads while watching a player i mean it it, it isn't possible for all of us to go to go to every yeah. single game that's i mean again that's part of why data is more a more efficient process but then on a very essential level that's what you should be doing you should be taking your notes and you should be watching a player like a traditional scout would and as always the answer lies in between it lies in a good intersection between these two methods that's the healthiest way forward yeah again that totally echo that totally echo that so ram it's been amazing speaking to you thank you so much for your time uh, can you just let our listeners know where they can find you on social media uh yeah you can 
follow me on my Twitter, which is a little weird to spell. So I'm just hoping that you're going to leave that in the tweet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's it's weird to spell. It's weird to pronounce. So just look at it on the tweet. Okay. <laughs> but I, I am I am on Twitter. I, um, I, I mean yeah, I I tweet a lot about Chelsea because I support them and. Tweet a lot about championship football. So, <laughs> and yeah. more importantly, you can find my consultancy, Market Insights Twitter account at Insight Market, where market is spelt bereft of any sort of vowels. We post the odd, we post the odd player chart now and then. Uh, you might find some interesting things there. You might want to website, visit our website as well, marketinsights.com. So yeah, that's that's it. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time tonight, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure and, and we'll hopefully speak again soon. Oh, for sure. I uh, love being on here. Thanks a lot.